out in your sermon notes that are on the back of your bulletin so that you can write them down. But we're studying the life of Jesus, the disciples, walking our way through these, um, these weeks to Easter. And today we're going to look at Jesus' interaction with Peter. And uh, we're going to look at the red letters of the story. That's what we're in the series, as you see on the front of your bulletin, Red Letter Day. Looking at what Jesus said not just a long time ago, but he talks to us today. We're his followers today. This wasn't written for someone else 2,000 years ago. It was written for you. And so we're going to be equipped to follow, and we're going to look at it today. And we're going to look at Mark chapter 1, beginning at verse uh, 31. And we're going to look at the story that we watched uh, just here on the screen. So good to have the Collins family with us from Rantoul, Illinois. They're going to be at the Ascension Convention in a couple weeks. Their daughter's coming to the Bible College, so it's always good to have... uh, have friends with us, and uh, again, welcome. We're glad that you're here. But let's look at our verses uh, for our um, sermon tonight. In, in Mark chapter 8, beginning of verse 31, he then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus uh, turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do, not have the mind, you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then he called the crowd to him, and along with his disciples, and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever wants to lose their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What, it is, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, this, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. There's little doubt that... Peter could ever forget how powerful and how strong Jesus really was. He had been face to face with some of the most amazing miracles that have ever been recorded. And this scene in Jesus' life follows the feeding of the 5,000, his greatest miracle. So he has done these amazing miracles, amazing healings, the feeding of the 5,000, And I'm going to tell you, the crowds are huge, the disciples are pumped, and so before things get too far off track, before the disciples think Jesus is going to start throwing his strength around and conquer his oppressors and control the crowds, he redirects their misconceptions to point them to the reality that is just across the hill in Jerusalem. What he had to share with his disciples isn't even in their mind. They can't even think about it. I mean, surely the Messiah would be triumphant. Surely he would be a conqueror. Surely he wouldn't have to be acquainted with suffering and rejection and death. But that's on its way. So Jesus has to share with his disciples. He has to give them uh, what's really going to happen because their expectations are just in a very different place. And so it says in Mark chapter 8, 31 and 32, He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed 
And after three days rise again, he spoke plainly about this. He didn't want any misunderstandings. He didn't want any questions. He spoke plainly. It's not a riddle. It is not a parable. It will, they will not leave this conversation scratching their head. He says, no, I'm going to have to suffer. I'm going to have to be rejected. I'm going to have to die. I will raise in three days, but I have to go through these very difficult things. And then he repeats it in the next chapter in the Gospel of Mark, and then the next, and then over and over again, he will say it, and they don't get it. Because they haven't seen anything like this. They, it's the opposite for them. I mean, they see the huge crowds. They see everybody loving his teaching. They see all the miracles. They see the lives that are changing. They, they, they like, Jesus, you are a rock star. This is never going to happen. You're even calling yourself the Son of Man. I mean, do you realize what that is? He calls himself that 81 times in the Scripture. And just so a reference, so you know what Jesus means when he says Son of Man, he talks about it from Daniel chapter 7, 13 and 14. This is a prophetic vision that Daniel has about the Messiah. And here it is. It's this in Daniel chapter 7. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like the Son of Man, Coming in the clouds of heaven, he approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and people of every language worshipped him. His dominion is everlasting they will, that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. He has strength, dad's strength, as we saw in there. All power, all authority, all this worship, and so... Jesus tells his disciples exactly what's going to happen. I'm going to suffer and be rejected and die. And the disciples just don't believe it. It's just too foreign to them. They haven't seen this. And how could this even happen to the Son of Man? And so as a result, Peter pipes up. And he thinks he's going to share some thoughts with Jesus. Peter says a lot in the gospel. Some good, mostly bad, but in... Mark chapter 8, 32, he says, And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke Jesus. You wonder what that looked like? Good old Peter. Oh, no, Jesus. But this word rebuke is actually the same word and used in Mark for when Jesus is casting demons out. I mean, this is a serious thing. Jesus, he's saying, just Jesus, you're, you don't know what you're talking about. Him. And this is that dad wrestling, isn't it? It's that kid wrestling with their dad, and, and they think they're winning, and he's saying, no, Jesus, never, ever, this can't happen, and he's, and he's going on, and he's telling Jesus kind of off in a way, he's rebuking Jesus, but then, dad can't let this go on. He's got to step in, and in a very swift move, he turns the table on Peter's in verse 33. When Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Get behind me, Satan. Wow. That's dad's strength, isn't it? He wants to make sure that the disciples hear it too, so he's looking at the disciples when he says it. He's, he's laying into him because it's for this very reason he came. And Satan has tried to pull him away from the cross Again and again and again, beginning at the, the temptation, saying there's another way. De Peter's not demon-possessed at this point. He's not, 
He's not controlled by a demon. Instead, Satan is using Peter to dissuade Jesus from what he had to go through. That he wasn't thinking about what the Father was thinking about. He was thinking about merely in human terms. And this is the same temptation Jesus had wrestled with over and over again to to abandon his mission that would lead to the cross. It's the same temptation to us today. The devil says, oh, you don't have to take up your cross. You don't have to follow. It doesn't have to be hard. The devil's always trying to get us off the things of heaven and onto the things of earth. And Peter at this moment felt the weight of Jesus' strength. Jesus laid into him and You think of Jesus' eyes, you think of his intensity, you think of his voice, his authority, the the strength of the Father himself coming down on Peter right then as they're wrestling in this conversation, and it slams Peter deep on the inside. But this isn't the only time that Peter will get slammed by the Savior. He will later on, in that last night of Jesus' life, he will deny Jesus and he'll have to look into those eyes again. It says in Luke chapter 22, verse 60, Peter replied in his denial, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. Verse 61, the Lord turned, looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him before the rooster crows today. You will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. It's just the same thing, the same temptation. I, I know what I'm supposed to be doing, but I'm doing the different thing. And Peter just couldn't see what was coming on the horizon. There's no way that he would have to go through the suffering and rejection and, and, and pain and death. You don't have to go through that. And Jesus says, yes, I do. This is my mission. This is what's going to save you from sin and death and grave and hell. And Jesus was so focused on his mission and what he intended to accomplish that nothing could take Jesus' eyes off the things of heaven. The words of the Father. It says in Isaiah 53, and maybe these are the words that were going through Jesus' mind at this time, but if you read that whole chapter, you can. I'll just read a few verses. It says that he was despised and rejected by mankind a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one whom people hide their faces. He was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by man and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds... We are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jumping down to verse 10. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer his life an offering for our sin. Thousands of years before in the prophets, saying, no, this is what needs to take place. There will be pain and rejection and suffering and death. This is God's plan. And Jesus knew that it needed to be done, and it needed to be done for you and for me. Jesus wasn't coming in strength and power to throw 
everybody else out and, and, and install the disciples as leaders. He was, he was there for everybody. He was there to save the world. He was there for you and for me. And so he continues his teaching. He continues his words in red because it's not over. It's not just telling Peter off. He's saying, no, I want you to realize what it means to be my disciple. It's not just, you know, hey, we got big crowds and great things are happening and isn't this wonderful? No, here's the truth of discipleship. It says, then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said in verse 34, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in the Father's glory with the holy angels. Jesus shares with us the the requirement for following him. The requirement of, of being a Christian, being a disciple, however you want to label yourself, a follower, these are three things you have to do. He says this is what you have to do for discipleship. The three requirements are simple. Number one, deny yourself. Pick up your cross and follow me. Those are the three. It's just that simple. See, this is so far beyond, well, I, don't, I, I, I want to be good, I want to be nice, I don't want to sin anymore. No, Jesus is calling us to lay down our lives. He's calling us to lay down our lives and to deny ourselves. I think that is one of the biggest issues in our world today, is no one wants to deny themselves. And he's saying, I want you to lay down your life, deny yourself, and submit to the power and authority of the Heavenly Father. And that's what Jesus did his entire life. That's what Jesus did. He, he submitted to the, to the authority of the Father. Jesus says, I never said one thing or did one thing out of step with what the Father told me to do. And he's saying, that's what I'm calling you to do. I'm calling you to lay down your life, to deny yourself, and to pick up your cross. That's powerful, to pick up your cross and follow me. This idea of picking up our cross, and, and it's been so kind of changed over the years that it's, well, this, it's this irritation in my life, or this disruption in my life, this, this hard thing that I have to go through, that's taking up my cross. But that's not what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about laying down your life. He's talking about a death. We are called to be born again. That's how we come into God's family. We're born again, born anew, not by human parents, but born of God into his family. And so we have that birthing process, but you can't be born again until you die first. And that's why Jesus came. He came to teach us, to show us. That's the reason, the purpose, that we would keep our eyes on on, on the heavenly vision and not the earthly vision. That we would not do what we want to do, but we would do what he wants to do. And I want to tell you, it's just too hard to do it on our own. You can't carry your cross without dad's strength, without him supernaturally giving you the strength to carry your cross. But that's what's so beautiful. You are trading in your small life for abundant life in him for his strength to be at work 
inside of you. We shouldn't be surprised when we have to go through suffering, when we're rejected. We, we shouldn't be surprised at the death that needs to take place when we align ourselves with God. But what ultimately happens, and this is what's leading us to Easter, is that those who put their faith, hope, and trust in Jesus, no matter what they experience here in this life, the pain, the rejection, the death, they will experience resurrection on the final day. That that is where our hope is. That death and laying our lives down for, for Christ actually leads to his resurrection power in our lives. That dad's strength in our lives, that gift from the Father who knows how to conquer everything, including the grave. It says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, and this is what I want us to think about as we come to a conclusion here. It's Paul talking to the Colossians saying, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. It's time for us to start thinking what God wants us to think about. We start doing what God has asked us to do. That we can live in the weakness of our ordinary life, in the weakness of our sin, or we can live in dad's strength. We can live in his strength. And I know that's what he's calling us to do. My kids are, are getting older and bigger and stronger, and now a couple of them are bigger than I am. And uh, so those days of wrestling, my boys, is coming to a conclusion. Although if you talk to them, tell them I can still whip them, because uh, they at least think that. But... You know, when you're wrestling with dad and, and uh, you think you're winning and dad can turn it like that, you know what's beautiful about dad's strength? There were some times when my guys were little and we were wrestling and uh, just, you know, you kind of throw the hammer down and then you get him. Is you get to that point where you, you don't let him go. You just grab him and you hold him and it's no, more, it's no longer wrestling now. It's just I love you and I'm showing you I'm never going to let you go that you are safe with me. In, in, in my strength, you are safe with me. I believe that's what God does in our relationship with him, our wrestling with him. You know, we can, we can be like Peter at times, and we can do our own thing, and he, he can set us straight. But you know what? Those loving arms will never let you go. Because Jesus could have got out of the pain and the suffering and the rejection and the death at any moment. He could have walked away at any moment, but he didn't. Because he loves you so much. And sometimes we have to just take time and hit pause and remember that he did that for me. That he did that for you. Last week we highlighted our, our prison ministry and, and what a powerful story of, of the, the prisoners in the church on the inside and how God is saving them and just all the neat things we heard about. And it's sometimes good to say, wow, God's power is really at work in the prison and those guys really need him, don't they? We really need him. It's not just these people over here. These people. That's what Peter thought. Oh yeah, you're going to use your power on this person and that person. And Peter got the full dose of Jesus' power. Though it's, Peter, I came for you. I came to save you from yourself. 
We're walking toward the cross here at Easter time. We're walking toward resurrection power. But Jesus came because we needed him so much. It's time to stop trying to do things on our own, to lay down our life, and to embrace the God that is embracing you. Would you bow your heads and your hearts with me tonight? I want us to pray together just um, quietly before we, uh, before we go. But um, just with your head bowed and your eyes closed, um, I, mean, I don't know, could we sing all for you? I don't know if that's even possible or not, but we can, if we could do that, that'd be great. <clears throat> just as you were singing it earlier, the, I felt the Spirit just say to do that. So we're going we're gonna to do that. But I just want to pray with you first before we worship the Lord together tonight. And... Um, and uh, I just want to make sure that we don't get God all figured out and start telling him what he needs to be doing and what he shouldn't be doing. And, and that we would just lay our lives down. That we would just submit to him. That we would submit to his word. And realize that, that he had to come for everyone. That he had to do this. It's like he said to Peter, I have to go through this for you, Peter. And Jesus is saying, I had to go through what I went through for you because I loved you. And I'm going to hold on to you and I'm never going to let you go. So tonight, I want us to make the same commitment to him that he made to us. That we will lay down our life and pick up our cross and follow him. And so I'm going to just lead you in a prayer. And if you say, you know what? I'm done trying to do this on my own, living my own life, and I want to follow him, I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer with me tonight. And I'm going to ask everyone here that says, yes, I am all in to repeat these words after me. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I need your forgiveness. I believe that you died for my sins. I want to turn from my sins. I now invite you to come into my heart and life. I want to trust and follow you, my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name. Let me pray for you tonight. Lord, we just, we receive your word. Lord, as we prepare our hearts for what's coming on Palm Sunday and Good Friday and Easter, as we prepare our hearts, we, we listen to your words and read tonight to deny ourselves, to pick up our cross, and to follow you. And so, Lord, tonight we do that, and we choose to do that because you chose to do it for us. We love you tonight. And now we stand and worship you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me as we worship the Lord together? <clears throat>